Hey folks, this episode is from uh, my other podcast, Without Compromise, that is hosted through Athletic Brewing. Uh, you can check that out. But I thought, you know, uh, uh, since Danny is a climber and a snowboarder and an outdoor advocate, I just thought the conversation would be such a great fit for ASP that I decided to basically use the interview for our show as well. So this is where that episode's coming from. Danny is awesome to talk to. I've been meaning to get her on the pod for a while now. So it was awesome to be able to kind of use the conversation for both podcasts. So if, you, if you'd like to check out my other show, Without Compromise, it, we talked to slightly different folks. If you're a fan of the NFL, by the way, I had just had J.J. Watt, you know, former uh, defensive player of the year, like three different times. You might know his name if you're a fan of football. So um, I also talked to a lot of more traditional athletes over there and people in the brewing industry uh, where I work and stuff like that. So um, if you want to check that out, uh, go for it. But anyway, Danny's story is awesome. We're talking about just, you know, taking the road less traveled. That is a common theme with our show is going the path that other people say you either shouldn't go down or no one around you has gone down. Uh, maybe it's not a, you know, anyone thinks it's wrong. It's just no one's ever done it. Uh, and Danny's story is that it's it's doing things slightly differently that have really cool, unexpected outcomes. It's the style of life I, I like as well. So, I hope you enjoy. All right, folks, you heard a little bit about Danny's story in the intro, but we're going to talk to Danny right now and hear exactly what's going on in her life and what's how she got to this point and her mindset around adventure and, and, and career and all this stuff and living without compromise Danny, welcome to the show. Ooh, well, that was an intro. I don't know how to follow that up. But was it? I didn't mention anything specific. <laughs> well, I'm ima- I don't know. I'm imagining the things that you said were nice. I don't know. <laughs> how about this? Hi. Um, thank you for having me. <laughs> there you go. No, it's it's it really is an honor to join you in this conversation today because. Um, yeah, it's been a journey to, to kind of understand what it means to live without compromise. And I'm super stoked to just lean into that conversation today with you. Thank you. Th- thank you so much. Uh, well, well, tell me this. This is what I always ask first. And um, I know you've been all over the place, like lived in a van and, and traveled coast to coast. And you're from California, but uh, you're in the mountains now. There are plenty of mountains in California, but you were in coastal California. Where are you now? Where, where is home for you now? Yep. So I'm based in Southwest Colorado. Um, I am frequently on the road again now that um, the effects of the pandemic have been mitigated. Uh, but certainly during the pandemic, which is when we really, truly set down roots here on a little homestead. Um, yeah. So I'm in Southwest Colorado where the leaves are popping. <laughs> What, what what do you what do you like about because I know this is you were in a van and living kind of that that remote lifestyle for a long time. Tell us about some of the changes between being rooted and not rooted and what you've maybe liked about that. First and foremost, it's really exciting to to literally root in the sense of we grow a lot of our own food now <laughs> um, seasonally and and still get to do some local adventures. Right. So the pandemic. Um, really, I think, showed me in more ways than one that 
um, investing in what I have nearby or in my own backyard, wherever that backyard may be, is what can help me not just appreciate that local community and local recreational assets, but also um, help me understand how to better show up for those those spaces, whether they're public lands or not. And um, so, yeah, so growing, growing our food, um, getting a really um, much more intimate knowledge of the, the place in my own backyard, um, or as it were, I call it my backyard, back country. <laughs> um, and, and I think a lot, you know, maybe we can go into this a little bit later, but um, living in a van, unlike having a more rooted existence was very much driven by two things. A, a, not just a pursuit for adventure, but the desire to reach a more like, like a healthy mental space of being able to incorporate recreation into my life, but also have a career. And when you're living in a van, it's almost like, well, you can only work in your van so much before you have to go outside or else you're going to be nuts. Um, but on the other side, other hand, um, you know, there, there is definitely a housing crisis and, um, the living in a van enabled me to do so many things that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was trying to live in mountain towns all across the West, but it also, um, also kind of maybe constantly be having to move because you can't live on public lands or in your friend's driveway or what have you so often. And so there's this sense of like kind of constant movement, which was really great for a while, but, um, honestly, I just kind of got very tired of it. <laughs> and, and rooting enables me to, to literally ground. <laughs> it's a time of life. I think that mm-hmm. there's a time where endless travel with work was like a dream come true. And now I've got two kids in a house and it's like, oh my God, I got to travel. You're telling me I got to leave. Like you want to <laughs> be rooted. It's weird. I'm like, there, there will never be a day that comes right. that I don't look forward to constant movement. Mm. Right now it's like, dang, I actually do want to be home. How weird is mm-hmm. that? I never mm-hmm. thought I'd say that. Well, with the turning of the seasons, right? Like right now is a beautiful time to be home and sort of enjoying the fruits of your labor and kind of getting ready for the rest of the fall, but also a win- winter, which is, you know, as a species of time, traditionally that we hibernate. Um, the flip side of that is, you know, when you think about the way that work and travel um, and, of course, adventure have, have played a role in my life, I think it's there's almost this um, kind of parallel that I see in work that happens in my adventure life of just like go, 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 constant, 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 like not having rest days, not building in time for myself to just disconnect, to reconnect. Kind of all of those things that's like the, as I, uh, they linked it, called it the religion of productivity, right? It's almost like I'm not achieving XYZ ski line, or if not, I'm not running 24 miles. If I'm not at a meeting, getting some stuff done, right? Like measuring, uh, measuring success for myself by being busy every single day is not something that makes me feel, um, like a healthy human. And so I think being rooted in some ways is a way to build in time to like, and this is so, so silly, like the mundanity of, of, of cleaning my house or cooking a meal for friends, like just the slower things in life. 
Um, and, and something when I, because we're always restless, right? Like the grass is always greener. Like sometimes I'm at my house, I'm like, ah, there's so many things to do. I just want to go and travel. And um, my friend and mentor, Conrad Inker had talked to me at one point because I was kind of struggling with this thing of like, how do I balance life and adventure and work? And he'd said to me, you know, I think about my year in two week blocks throughout the year. And it start and and I sort of started fixating on this. And I realized, well, everything kind of is in two-week blocks, right? I'll be home for two weeks and it's work, 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 have some dinners, go train, right? Whatever, whatever my schedule looks like. I'm still getting out, I'm still doing all the work. And then I know that two-week period will be done. And then I'll probably go on, I'll go on another two-week period. Maybe that's two weeks of travel, maybe it's two weeks of a different project, what have you. And so to me, just compartmentalizing, even being rooted or even just traveling has been a way to give some structure for how I approach every single day. One, that's a hell of a name drop with uh, your mentor, <laughs> my friend and, my friend and mentor, Conrad Anchor. I'm like, my friend and mentor is like my friend Paul that no one knows. <laughs> I bet Paul's pretty cool, though. He is cool. He is cool. He's, 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 Paul, he's, we he's love cool you. Guy. Yeah, very cool, dude. That's uh that's really cool. The two week, the two week interval thing. You know, it's funny. I I don't want to like be the person that's constantly talking about their kids, but it's the same philosophy with kids. Like nothing lasts for more than two weeks. So if they're not sleeping or sickness or anything, any phase is usually like a two week thing before it's the get out of that or adjusted. And it's funny because I've never thought about applying that also to other parts of life, but. Yeah, when I start to think about it, I'm like, yeah, everything is kind of like a two-week increment. Think about it like this. We do interval training in so many of our different pursuits, right? Cycling, running, whatever. <laughs> whatever, however it is that you do your interval training. And interval training makes us stronger. It gives us more endurance, right? It helps us show up in the way that we want to show up. So why wouldn't we think about the rest of our lives as interval training? I like it. Thanks, Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Thanks, Conrad. I know that your story has taken you so many places and done so many different things, but wh where do you think this came from? What what were you, did you grow up with a family or the lifestyle that led you to do lots of different things and pursue things, I don't know, just out of sheer curiosity or was it a structured lifestyle, structured childhood? Wh what would you say your experience was? Oh, no one's ever asked me this question before. So <laughs> I think I grew up with a pretty, what I thought was normal lifestyle um, at the time, or it felt pretty normal to me. Um, my parents worked from home. They worked for themselves. They traveled um, quite a bit when I was young, um, mostly internationally. Um, and they encouraged me to read a lot, um, probably because... I still have the same energy then that I did now, but in a much smaller, more dynamic form, which a much higher pitched voice. And so you have to give your kids books to read, otherwise they won't shut up. So <laughs> I was encouraged to read. Um, I was a really curious kid. I loved, um, you know, I had like a little science kit. I loved, I remember learning uh, what aloe was and that we had aloe all over our yard because this, I grew up in Southern California and I was making all of these like potions and salves and didn't even know what I was doing. But my mom was like, where did you get this? And I was like, I made it. And she was like, this is actually really cool and great. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> maybe I was like a little witchy kid as a, as a, as a child. Um, 
my parents just really encouraged curiosity and learning. And I, my life, my childhood was fairly structured. You know, I played uh, one to three hours of classical piano every single day. My father and grandmother were both classical pianists. Um, and my mother's parent family, um, who comes from a very different socioeconomic class, um, it definitely had the immigrant mindset of work very hard and go to med school or become a lawyer. So there was a lot of expectation piled onto my young bouncy <laughs> shoulders as I was jumping around with aloe plants in the yard. And uh, during my adolescence, a lot of our life changed. Um, my father got sick, my mother got sick, and we left um, the beach area of Los Angeles and moved to Fresno where I learned a lot about who I was and what I looked like and the way the world wanted to treat me. Um, but I had already gotten into long distance running. I started cross country in high school. And this, <laughs> this is when I learned that my church upbringing, uh, we grew up Catholic, very much was like tied to like embracing the suffering of long hot runs in 100 degree heat as a high schooler, which I definitely attribute to like why I'm embracing endurance mountain sports as an adult, right? So thank you parents for serving and life for serving up adversity uh, because it made me who I am. Um, but fundamentally, you know, I think it, it just comes back to the fact that as a kid, I was encouraged to learn and ask questions and, and I always did. And so I think that same thread just shows up in my life now because in so many ways I, I have, um, you know, I've lived through, I guess, two recessions as a professional and as well as a pandemic. And there's a lot to be said for, I think there've been, there've been, there's one time in the last five years where I was like, maybe I should just go. Well, not one time. There are actually many times, but one specific moment where I remember saying to my partner, Hey, I'm going to really do this freelance thing. I'm going to work for myself. Um, the athlete piece came a little bit later, but I fundamentally said like, if this doesn't work in a year, I'm going back to corporate America. I will go get a job and someone else can pay the bills. Um, but you know, a lot of what I was doing was really just about testing and trying and asking questions and testing and trying and asking questions. And at the same time, I think trying to be kind and build good relationships. And so two things, curiosity and relationships are what put me here now. And those are certainly values that I learned in childhood. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. As your 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 name uh, implies, Instagram handle not lost, just discovering. Can you talk about have you has, has that been like a position you've had to defend? Or you know, I don't know a family. I, I know with me, it was like after college, I had no clear plan. I just went bikepacking for like a year <laughs> and then they were like, well, you know, you got to get a job or you got something to do. And I did feel like, I don't know, I'm just going to go see. And thankfully it's led to some, I led to some really cool stuff. I knew it would, but it's almost, you had to convince others that it would. What Tell us about that name, not lost, just discovering some of the places it may have taken you. Yeah, certainly. Um, well, I, I, initially thought when you were going to ask if I had to defend it, if it had to do with the sort of 
myth of American exceptionalism and what discovering means in <laughs> the modern outdoors. Um, and no, I haven't had to defend that <laughs> um, because a, a big part of discovering to me is about the inner journey, right? So when I say not lost, just discovering, this is about the inner journey and, and personal pro and just process of personal discovery that we go through when we're outdoors or undertaking an adventure. And in so many ways, the, and hopefully this, this speaks to what we were just discussing, the adventure, like the, when we go on an adventure, we're not just doing something that's cool, right? And Instagram worthy. I mean, sure, it might be both of those things, but it's also an experience that helps us do one of three things. It helps us heal, right? Maybe we've had a bad day at work. Maybe we've had a trauma or something in between. But going outside helps us heal or going outside can help us connect. It can help us connect to the people around us, to the environment, to ourselves, or it can help us grow, right? Like this is about like going 10, 20% beyond what you thought you could do. And I guess getting red. <laughs> and so, so when I talk about discovery, it's in no way meant to refer to a spatial or temporal experience it's more so the inner process of what that means and I think when you ask if I've had to defend that to family um two things first my process of personal discovery did not begin until I left corporate America in 2012 there are a variety of factors why but um one of those well I'll just I'll just say it you know I was leaving I left a very toxic relationship I left um, a work role that wasn't for me. Um, I love that company. It just wasn't the right job for me. And I was ready to change my housing situation. And so my family knew um, about all of these things. And so when I bought a one-way ticket to South America and said, I'm going to go rock climbing and snowboarding and surfing and backpacking, and I'll be back in a little bit, they were like, uh, we don't like this, but... It seems like this would be a good decision. Please don't die. <laughs> they started pressuring me, you know, months and months, months later when I still was meeting people and going and doing all these things. And, you know, I remember my youngest sister, who now lives in the Bay Area, um, sending me a lot of job uh, listings, like job descriptions for you know working at a co another corporate company and i could make a hundred plus a year and i was like no no well yeah so was that welcome or was that like hey please stop doing this <laughs> i was like well hey please stop doing this i mean on that same token like i when i got back from from south america i fully thought that i was going to go back to portland and go work at nike or adidas um, which would have been the competition because I was at Nike. But I had this expectation like, oh, I'll go get a contract job and go get this job again and go up there again because I really didn't know what I was going to do. Um, it felt a little bit like taking one, uh, two steps back or like one step diagonal. I wasn't really sure. But yeah, so when I got, when I got back from South America, this is 2014, after um, months of amazing alpine and desert experiences in in Chile, Argentina, Peru, I reconnected with this wonderful human I met who is still my human today. Um, and he and I went um, climbing in Yosemite. We went surfing in Santa Cruz. And 
after a month or two and making Thanksgiving dinner with my family, he was like, I love you. And I was like, I love you too. And he was like, you should come to Colorado. And I was like, okay. That's how it happened. <laughs> and that's how I came to Colorado. <laughs> And so I threw my um, un, I would say non-plan plans of going back to the Pacific Northwest out the window and jumped in his Pathfinder and drove out to uh, Crested Butte with him. And that was 2016. And I would say the rest is history, but it's not because it's still an adventure we're discovering every single day. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, yeah. wow, that's so wild. <laughs> And when you're when you take a journey, a path less traveled or something that's not there's no guidebook for, um, you start meeting other people on the same journey as well, and you realize, wow, I, I admire them. They're farther down this journey, and and they are. I respect them, and and they're you know you know what I mean. You start to get examples and mentors like a like a Conrad Anchor, a great example um, of someone that's farther down that road. That's like, well, they did it. I can do it too. And you start to get this community of folks that have done things totally different. I mean, gosh, here at Athletic, Bill, if he wouldn't have walked away from corporate America, we would never get, we wouldn't be talking right now, probably, because um, it led to what Athletic Brewing is. That was going totally against the grain. And it's the same, same exact spirit between what Bill has done and I feel like my lifestyle and what you're doing and the people around you are doing of... We're not lost. We're discovering something really cool, really new and incredible. And you should join. You should join me on this journey. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there, there are two words that, that really sum it up. Um, and anyone, I think, around the world can, can resonate with this. Ready? Punk rock. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to spit. I mean, there's something about, like you said, being counterculture being willing to go against the grain, being willing to to see things for what they are, and and sometimes name it, or sometimes just know deep in your gut that this isn't the right thing for you. Maybe it is for a lot of other people, but for you, it's not. And it's been a long, long, long time to say I actually know what I'm doing. And well, I should te I I technically still I don't know a lot of things. There are a few things I do know, but there are many things I don't know. And by admitting, I think that I don't know a lot of things. It gives me the permission to keep like discovering things that are going to help me be a better person or a better professional, a better partner, a better, um, better athlete. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Creating a very close relationship with being uncomfortable is part of doing things differently. What else do you think you've learned about taking the path less traveled and doing things differently and maybe not having that layout in front of you for years and years and years to come? What else kind of keeps you motivated and positive on this unknown journey? Has, <laughs> that's a big question. Okay, let's see if I can, let's see if I can break it down a little bit. You know, um, if I look at how, um, so I w during during the pandemic, I like many people, I think, had um, went through a pretty <laughs> a few pretty rough patches whether that was yeah with my work or um with my ability to physically do things i mean i i broke my back so i really had a hard time doing some things <laughs> quite quite a few things actually did you step <laughs> my, on a crack 
I wish there's a snowmobile accident. I'm sorry, that was hilarious. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, I certainly had, um, yeah, a few rough patches. But I think um, as we transition into a time where I think the world has opened a little bit more, that's also given me the permission or ability, I think, to to think about well, if this was what the world looks like when it's like wildfires are burning and black and brown people are dying in disproportionate numbers and access to public lands is limited or restricted, you know, all of these things that I think we as a society hadn't discussed. I came to this place where I realized, well, a lot of these things don't just affect me, but they're also affecting people I care about. And it's about dang time I do something. <laughs> and so um, that's been, I think, a big motivator for a lot of the work that that I've dedicated my time to in the last, um, I guess, two, two odd years here, thinking about how can I do something? What are the ways that I can affect change, whether it's in my little community, whether it's in my exo community, which is... I call that my my like friend network online or what have you, right? The people that don't physically live in my space. Um, how do I affect the outdoor industry? How does also how does this like show up in my athletic pursuits and in the media and stories that I tell? Um, because you know, I I came out from this monster mission in the Sierra last week. It was so adorable. There were these um, two. There were four young men, eighteen to twenty-two. They're going on their first backpacking trip. And they saw me bouncing down the trail. I've got this 50 pound pack. I was got, I went fast packing slash running into this zone, like 24 miles in. And then I was um, mountain running and climbing this like series of peaks anyway. And so I come down this trail at 9 PM. I've got my headlamp on. They think I'm a ranger. And they asked me the question, are you a professional? I think I was so tired. I just said, yes. Can I help you? <laughs> and so they're talking to me about my job and, all the different things I do in the world because they're 18 and 22 and they have a lot of questions and I'm physically like exhausted. So why wouldn't I answer all their questions? I don't know if this happens to you as a parent. Like I'll just, sure, you get all the answers. Why not? And and they were talking to me about um, media and story as an outdoor athlete. Um, and I said, well, you know, here's the, here's the deal. Anybody can get rad, but not anybody can tell a story. And there is something when we think about like, what is it that makes us as a species, like our community, our societies, like really move. And it's story. And I love story. If I can use my voice in a way that makes the world maybe just a little bit of a better place, then maybe I'll, maybe that would be rad. Speaking of using your voice to make the world better and and to make these spaces more inclusive, I've seen that you've been to D.C., Washington, D.C., that is a couple of times now, a handful of times. What is the work you're doing there? What's the context around? I see those posts. You're dressed up. It looks like um, some really important stuff you're involved in. What What is that and what are you doing? Oh, well, thank you for asking. I never get to talk about my <laughs> my dressed up days. Just joking. That's not true. <laughs> Cut that part out. <laughs> um, well, I'm still I'm still sort of pinching myself at the reality that that is my life now, that I get to go lobby on behalf of what we're calling the outdoor state, um, which has been a phrase, con a 
phrase coined by Protect Our Winners to describe the 50 to 100 million people in the United States that love the outdoors. And so my work with Protect Our Winners as an athlete on their Climb Alliance in lobbying for the outdoor state. So what that means is speaking to our elected officials as well as um, a few bureaucrats and officials, elected official staff who are the real movers and shakers just give a handout for all our congressional staff out there is is talking about climate change and climate solutions well let me step back i'm not talking about climate change because we already know what's happening i'm talking about climate solutions um so i get to advocate for things like workforce training in rural america which is really important to transitioning to a just economy i get to talk about electrification i get to talk about um, public lands access and um, infrastructure. I actually got to advocate in a meeting with the head of the National Park Service and the Council on Environmental Equality. I got to say point blank how important it is that we have Spanish bilingual content, <laughs> just period, because Latinos are the fastest growing demographic in the United States across the board. And we love the outdoors. As a Spanish-speaking Latina, I'd love to see culturally acute content that speaks to me, literally. And anyway, so we just I just got interviewed by the New York Times, which was kind of wild. <laughs> um, so I'll send you that link if you like it. But um, it's I think this is the work with Protect Our Winners is definitely in line with, I think, um, some like what the Two for the Trails program is, right, which is or a component of the Two for the Trails program, because this is about making sure that everyone can get on trails, that trails exist, that communities have the infrastructure and support they need so that we can all keep getting outside. Wow. You know, I know we're the kind of the theme of this is talking about this road less traveled, going a path that you don't know the outcome just yet, but opportunities are presenting themselves. And I'm sure it is, you know, not, I mean, maybe the word is validation that you've picked the right path or you're at least you're, you're in the, that thread of like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I'm talking in front of Congress. I'm talking to the New York times. I, I chose the right way to go. <laughs> it certainly is. A, it's, it is validating. It's also, I think, um, a little, I feel like intimidated, but at the same time, so I have to remind myself, like I've done the work to be here. Like I know what I, imposter I don't want to be like, yeah, there's just, there's just imposter syndrome. Um, but certainly something like this is validating. And I think, you know, as I grow growing up and seeing, even if it was just early parts of my childhood where I got to see my parents go do and thing, go do things like this as well. Um, it feels like I'm making them proud and it's pretty, pretty exciting because who doesn't want to make their parents proud? <laughs> wow, that is cool. A another thing validating, I don't know, maybe just a, a step in your journey or something that's like, see, people, this this is the right way to go. Um, you've got some, some storytelling projects coming out and particularly mm -hmm. one, uh, a film coming out soon mm -hmm. outlier can, can we talk about that can you tell us about what is that what is it about and, and how you got involved oh yes well thank you thank you for bringing that up um so outlier <clears throat> excuse me so when i was speaking earlier about this idea of 
like coming out of the pandemic and showing up for self and community and better future and so on. Um, what that was right around the time where I started realizing that no matter what I did or where I lived, whether that was a rural community, um, down valley from a mountain community or in a mountain community, first of all, I was always going to be different um, because I am a dark skinned brown woman with um, both Mexican and Asian heritage and like people will be nice to my face and sometimes they won't. But oftentimes, um, <clears throat> how should we say, there's a varying level of education around systemic oppression and microaggressions that, <laughs> that uh, I will be experiencing as I move through life. And so stepping back, the outlier project was born from this realization that no matter what I did, um, all I could ever do is be myself. And that I had to trust the process, that I had to trust in the community that I was building and that, or whether that's physical community or, you know, the natural environment and how I'm showing up for that space. And so this concept of mountain metaphor, backcountry, snowboarding and skiing was born as a film project. So it's a three-part series. The first, the first episode, just accepted to Banff, will be... You said, you're going to repeat that, accepted to Banff. Are, are you allowed to say that? Yes. You're like, I'm just trying to sneak these things in here. Banff Film Festival? Yeah, what's oh up? Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, very, I'm really excited about it. I've got to, got to figure out a plane ticket. But um, we've got accepted to Banff Film Festival. We'll also be showing um, the or screening through Our Heritage, Our Planet um, Film Festival, which is a, an online festival or community screening for, um, well, it's for Latinx community and allies and accomplices. So that's exciting. And I'm going through submitting, submitting the film to a slew of other festivals. So stay tuned because it might be online or near you soon. Um, but yeah, that, that project is really just about trusting the process and trusting who we are and um, I can't say too much more because I don't want to give away any spoiler alerts, but our crew is really wonderful. We certainly met some challenging conditions in, out here uh, in Southeast Utah, but uh, I think we made a pretty cool little thing that you'll appreciate. I'm excited to check it out. This is awesome. Now, I know this is going to be like your focus for a while, getting this film out and making it happen. But but where where do you think all this is leading? Where do you hope your story goes and where do you hope it's it's leading to? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Oh, woof, that is a big question. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. No, no, this is great. I love that. Um, every six months or so, right on time, I do this little exercise with myself where, and the exercise kind of look different, but it's really like a visioning, like personal visioning, road mapping um, that talks about like values and goals and so on. And so what I had written was this sort of like three column framework of things I want, things I need, um, and I forget the third column. Oh, and like what it looks like. And um, and it was through the framework of exactly what you're asking about, which is what 
what is your role in the outdoor industry, right? Because I do have a, I, I'm not just an athlete. I'm not, I, I'm definitely not going to the Olympics. There's not a sport for me. But yeah, you know, there I'm at a place, I think, in my career where it's like acknowledging, like, what are the limitations, but also what are the possibilities? And I think a lot of those possibilities are still yet unknown. And so in my exercise where I looked at things I want, what I need and what it looks like, um, there were a couple of things that emerged. And I think one of them is really around um, client, um, community, right? So back to that, like, relationship component Another part of it was around intersectional identity, both for myself, as well as in, I think, the stories, um, experiences I share. And so when I say that, I mean, like, integrating all of the different things, like what you were saying about you and Paul backpacking, like, how do we understand how we move through the world? And what does it mean? So telling intersectional stories that bring in different components and themes that help a story become more relevant or mm, impactful to people from different backgrounds. Like, as you said, you come, you and Paul may have shared where you've grown up, schools you've been through, but your life experiences have still been different. And yet there's, can I tell a story about you? I bet it's, I bet we have something in there. Um, One of the things I've learned in, as an athlete, as a freelancing creative, um, as a person that has has started to experience the modicum of success, but has also existed certainly in, in lots of scarcity, financial um, and otherwise, throughout the you know the last decade. I I want to be open to many possibilities and and still know that there's there's like a guiding light, and that guiding light is balance. That guiding light is family and values, and I think sharing beautiful experiences. So what that looks like could look very different for when I spend time with my mom who's in a wheelchair as it might look with um, Johnny and I, if we go ski something big, right? So I'm not defining what I want to achieve or where I go by the people I meet or the lines that I ride or the rocks that I climb. It's, I think, bigger than that. And I mean, full disclosure, I come from a strategy background. So I'm like, those are just the tactics, right? Like the things that I achieve are the tools and the tactics, but like, what's the vision and what's the purpose? And I think the vision and the purpose is really just about for myself, like finding what is, what is that gray space where I can continually learn, like push myself and still have some semblance of balance at the same time as sharing that with others. So, so tell me this, what are you most curious about right now outside of uh, your career, all-encompassing career, whether that be advocacy, film, sport, what's, what are you most curious about? I think it's, well, as I prepare for winter, (laughs) I know we just started fall, but I'm really a winter, I'm a winter animal. (laughs) I'm really, I think I'm, I'm really curious slash excited about, I think just deepening my experience in the Alpine on ice specifically, um, and, and getting into spaces that not just let me be a creative human, but also be really joyful, right? So part of the pandemic, I don't wanna say I lost all my joy, but like, I'm really curious about like, what does it look like to live in a space of just joy and share that with people? Um, because 
I'm tired of just, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I won't say I'm tired. I don't want to be a person that's like, or just living to work. Right. I also want to enjoy the humanity that I have right now. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that as, as well as, um, sci-fi I've gotten into reading sci-fi books, but that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> One of my questions was, is there a hobby you have that folks don't know about? Maybe it's sci-fi, but maybe it's something else. Uh, well, I love cooking. Um, so specifically Mexican food. I don't know how to make Filipino food yet, but I will. I will I'm going to work on that uh, after I go to the Philippines at some point in the future. Um, but yeah, I, I love cooking. I think people probably know about that probably because there are photos of it in the world. <laughs> Maybe people don't know about reading. I love reading. Um, I'm also secretly passionate about used gear. So I just got a Kindle Paperwhite for like $62 refurbished online. Um, and I've been reading Octavia Butler books, who is an amazing um, Black feminist sci-fi writer who explores our humanity with like fantastical themes of the future. Wow. Yeah. So cooking and sci-fi and uh, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of hobbies. There we go. A lot of hobbies. Let's another another really small question. Biggest goal not yet achieved. I'm not ready for that kind of accountability, Mason. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, I'm just joking. What's my biggest goal not yet achieved? Um, I have to, um, and this will be working. I don't want to say it's biggest, but one of my big goals. So every every winter, well, actually that's not true. Every uh, like twice a year, I sit down and I write out my goals. Um, for like summer, fall, and then winter, spring. And so one of my big goals um, this year is, is to get comfortable on ice. So leading, um, I like, I'm okay at following ice, like climbing in the Alpine, like that kind of stuff. Just getting cozier with ice tools and that sketchy nonsense. It sounds cool. Uh, cold. I think, I think it'll be pretty cold, actually. All right. So, uh, Two, last two questions. Favorite okay. athletic beer, if you have a favorite? Oh. Oh. Well, I love First Ride because I love a stout, but I love Cerveza Atlética because I like there's nothing more delicious than a michelada. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, I get that one shipped to my house every month. Yeah, every yeah month. it's good. I think I need to make an order, actually. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, so that's my I have two. Can I have two favorite beers? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so you know, on every can of Athletic, it says "Brew without compromise." But we feel when you pursue something without compromise, like starting a business or a career or anything, you kind of have to just live that way. You can't choose to be excellent in a certain way and just not in others. You know, it kind of takes that lifestyle. What does it mean to you to live without compromise? Hmm. What a question. To live without compromise. I think for me at least is grounding into the values of who I am. And if I don't know what those values are, being willing to explore them and learn about them and acknowledge that they're constantly shifting and evolving. And in the process of learning and growing and figuring out what is what is my compass i'll figure out where i'm going because i think to me at least living without compromise is acknowledging that 
We might not know exactly where we're going, but something is guiding us. And all you can do is just admit that that's a possibility. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.